Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Friday, February the 2nd, 2024. It's the feast of the presentation of our Lord. In the old calendar, it's the 40th day of Christmas and therefore the final day of Christmas. And it's Groundhog Day. I'm not going to preach about that today, though. Um, let's do the gospel according to St. Luke. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation." which you prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So this particular feast means a whole lot more than a lot of people realize. Like I said, it's the 40th day of Christmas because this happened 40 days according to custom, according to tradition, after the birth of our Lord. And our Lord, well, did he need to be presented in the temple? Did he really need to do anything? Not really. He's God. He's perfect. But he's living the life that we are all called to live. So he's living as a perfect Jew. And then ultimately, he's going to found Christianity for us and receive the Holy Spirit and set up for us a sacramental economy that we're all supposed to follow, set up for us a way of praying that we're all supposed to partake in. So Jesus goes through this ritual being the firstborn, it goes back to the time of the Passover and the Exodus in which all the firstborn were killed in Egypt, and the Jews needed to, I mean, there's so much to it. They they offer the firstborn to the Lord, but they also then buy back the firstborn. So they offered a pair of turtle doves because they were poor people. They didn't have a large animal to offer up in sacrifice. So the turtle doves took the place 
of offering up a bull or an ox. But at that moment that Jesus was presented according to the custom of the law, Simeon, as we just heard, was awaiting. Simeon was awaiting the Messiah. It's pretty clear there. But another thing that Simeon was awaiting, all the people were awaiting the return of the Ark of the Covenant. See, about 700 years before this, during the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews were conquered by Babylon, the temple was destroyed. The people were taken into custody. Many of the people were dispersed throughout that region of the world. And the Ark went missing. The Ark that when the Jews marched in battle and carried the ark with them, the ark would lead them to victory. They always had victories when they marched with the ark until the Babylonians conquered them. After a long period of immorality, the prophets warned them that they would be conquered if they didn't turn from their evil ways. They didn't listen, and so they were conquered. The ark went missing, and that was the end of that. Of course, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they find it, but in real life, I don't know. I mean, I've heard rumors that so-and-so found it here, found it there. They're keeping it here and there, but it's a big secret. I don't really know. They were hiding it from Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was looking for it. Who knows, really? But St. John tells us in the book of Revelation that the Ark of the Covenant was found. Now, when Revelation was written, as so many books of the Bible, they didn't have chapters and verses. It was just one long flowing book. It all the verses ran in together. So at the end of Revelation 11, like I say, John didn't write 11 and 12. Those distinctions came later. But in that place in the book, John says he looks and he sees the Ark of the Covenant has returned to the temple. And then he goes on to say, I see a woman who is about to give birth to a child who will rule the nations with an iron rod. It's a reference to the Messiah from Psalm 2. And this woman is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She is the queen of the church, and she is also the queen of Israel. Messiahs, or rather, the Messiah would be king, that was predicted, And the queens, there's also a prediction, Psalm 45, talking about the mother of the king being very, very important. And it talks about a queen. And we know from our Jewish history that the queens were not the wife of the king because the kings had many wives. The queen was automatically the mother of the king. And so it's predicted that when the Messiah comes, his mother will also be honored as queen. Jesus is the king, not just of Israel, but of the world and of the universe. Therefore, Mary is the queen of the world and the universe and heaven and the church, etc. So Revelation shows this. But one thing that Revelation is showing us, which is written later on, is what we already saw in the temple. Simeon is waiting for the Messiah and he's waiting for the return of the ark. And then the ark comes into the temple. Simeon already knows the mystery that John will later reveal, and that is the ark is not the physical box made of gold that holds the Ten Commandments and the spear or the staff of Moses and some of the manna that fell from heaven. Rather, the new ark carries the true presence of Jesus, and that is Mary carries the true presence of God, the, the Jesus Christ himself. 
So we have a new ark, and it's a better ark. And this leads Simeon to recite his prayer that we now know as the Nunc Dimittis, which means now dismiss. Now, Master, you let your servant go in peace. In night prayer, we say this prayer every single night. I've said this every night for the past 25 years or so. Now, Master, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. It's for everyone, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. So the Messiah comes through Israel, but now he is for the whole world. And Simeon has seen this light. Simeon has seen the Messiah. This feast, the presentation, is also known as Candle Mass. Just like Christmas is known as Christ's Mass, it's the Mass that honors the birth of Christ. On the Feast of the Presentation, we have what's called Candle Mass, a special Mass in which uh, candles are blessed. Why? Because Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world. And Simeon recognizes this in a formal way in the Jewish temple. The light has come to reveal the presence of God in the world. The light has come to overshine the darkness. So it's an exciting thing. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. She carries the true presence of our Lord, which means if we march into battle, whatever battles we have to face in our lives with this Ark, just like King David Just like the Jews, when they carried the ark, they won their battles. We will win our battles, too, if we go hand in hand with Mary, if we enter in with our Blessed Lady, because she brings Jesus everywhere she goes. She never goes anywhere without him. It all started when she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus became present in her womb. Nine months later, he's born. Forty days later, he's in the temple. And even the prophetess Anna also, who's been waiting a very, very long time for this moment, she prophesies as well. Now, one other thing, I mean, there's many other things we can say, but one other thing I wanted to say about this feast is that this is also where the seven sorrows of Mary begin. Simeon, I mean, they already had the sorrow of trying to find, you know, a place for the baby to be born in Bethlehem, traveling a long distance, being out in a stable, it was an unstable way for a baby to be born. Sorry for the, the dad joke. But Mary, we, we are told that if we honor the seven sorrows, it's one more promise made from heaven. Jesus made this promise actually in a private revelation. Well, actually, it's been approved by the church that we will go straight to heaven, not even purgatory. We go straight to heaven if we honor the seven sorrows of Mary every day. And the first sorrow of Mary, officially, in the seven sorrows, is Simeon's words. A sword of sorrow will pierce the heart of Mary. And Jesus will be a sign that will be contradicted. Mary suffers her whole life because of Jesus. Because I mean, she also enjoys a greater joy and love and peace and everything good because of Jesus, but she also suffers because of the motherhood that she uh, takes part in, being the mother of the Savior and therefore the mother of all of us. Simeon predicts this, and Mary feels it. Mary feels it already. She feels the pain. He predicts a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart. It's not long after this that then they have to escape into Egypt. As many cries are heard as babies are being slaughtered by King Herod and his soldiers. That's 
another seven, one of the seven sorrows of Mary. So after Simeon's words, the sorrows begin, the suffering begins, all the rejection that Jesus will face, losing him in the temple, ultimately his way of the cross, his crucifixion, his death, his removal from the cross, his placement in the tomb, and the whole idea, the whole reality of the sword piercing Mary's heart becomes very real at that moment when Jesus has already passed from this world and his heart is pierced by the soldier's lance and blood and water flow out. And this is offered. Everything has to be offered to the Father. So saints have written about this, saying that when Jesus' heart is pierced, he's no longer there to make that offering of that final suffering. So he's not suffering that final wound, his side being pierced with a lance. But Mary is there at the foot of the cross, and she continues to suffer as her son is stabbed in the heart. And that is a very, very strong connection between Simeon's words and what's actually happening there. As Jesus is pierced in his heart, it is a sword of sorrow that pierces Mary's heart. Mary feels Jesus' pain, and Mary offers that final suffering of Jesus that he doesn't physically feel, but still it's damage to his body. Mary feels the pain. Mary offers it as the final piece of our Lord's passion and death. So many beautiful things are written about this, and it's just such a beautiful mystery, yet such a sad mystery. Yet it will become a glorious mystery when Jesus is risen from the dead, and he shows everyone the wound in his side that he wasn't even awake and alive to feel the first time around. Now he says to people, put your hand in my side. See, it's really me. And so Mary offered that, and Mary felt that, and Mary felt every whiplash. Mary felt every nail going into his hands and his feet. Mary felt every time Jesus had to rub his ripped up back against the splinter, splintery cross in order to take a breath. Mary felt all that pain. So this is the prophecy of Simeon that we celebrate today. In addition to the triumph of God returning to his temple and the ark returning, carrying the Lord, it's also a, uh, a beginning of sadness, a beginning of suffering. So it's a good feast to have as we're getting ready to start Lent in uh, how many days? Like 13 days, 12 days. So as we celebrate this day, understanding the ark, you know, there's two arks in the Old Testament. There's the Ark of the Covenant that was put together under Moses that the Jews carried with them into battle. And they were victorious because of it. It designated the presence of the Lord. There's also Noah's Ark going back further. And remember something about Noah's Ark. And Noah's Ark is a great image for the church that those on the Ark did not suffer. Those on the Ark did not drown when the floods came. Those on the Ark were saved and they started the new world, the new life. And so this is also Mary. Mary is the ark. Mary is the ark point, you know, times three, the third ark, ark 3.0, we could say. But Mary is the real ark. Mary is the ultimate ark. We, we don't need any more arks because we have Jesus now and Mary carries Jesus. And she continues to carry him for us to this day. And if we are on that ark, if we are attached to Mary, if we are devoted to Mary, if we are loving Mary, praying to Mary, praying that rosary, if we are hand in hand with Our Lady, then just like the people on the ark and just like the Jews that carried the ark of the covenant, 
In the same way, we who carry our rosaries, the symbol of Mary, we who pray to Our Lady, we will see all of our demons conquered. We will see all of our uh, our enemies conquered. St. Louis de Montfort promises that if we are devoted to Mary, if we are consecrated to Mary, she will conquer our enemies for us. Not that we're supposed to have enemies, but sometimes it's not our choice to have an enemy. It's their choice. And when we are devoted to Mary, and I've seen this so many times in my life, I don't have to do much because Our Lady is protecting me. She protects all of us. So uh, I don't know about groundhogs and all that, but we have a beautiful feast today. And we, uh, we ask the Lord to help us to enter into it very, very deeply and to always renew our dedication to Our Lady, that we have this assurance of our salvation and conquering all of our fears, all of our worries, all of our difficulties and obstacles in this life because Our Lady fights for us. Have a great day. God bless you. Mm-hmm.